Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. I want to remind you that as we study the book of the Revelation, we're looking at this book, and this is on your sheet, from the pre-tribulationist view. In other words, we believe, and I believe that it is absolutely substantiated in the Bible, that the church, the salt and the light of the world, is going to be taken out of the world. And the great tribulation and all of the challenges and all of the horrors thereof will begin to take place after the church is taken out of the world. So when the salt is taken out, that's when the rot is going to set in. That's the pre-tribulationist view. Now, in God's perfect timing, he is going to rapture the church out of the world. We Christians are going to be caught up to heaven with him, whether we have passed away physically or whether we're walking the soil of this earth. When the Lord Jesus comes back again, we are going to meet him in the air and we will be caught up. Uh, You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, Once the light of the world and the salt of the earth is taken out, God will begin the holy process of subjecting sin and death and the grave and Satan under his complete authority. Uh, God has chosen to pour out his wrath upon sin in the years of the great tribulation. That is a seven-year period Uh, in which God is going to permit the uprising and the final rebellion uh, of Satan himself. Uh, He will also uh, see the uh, unrepented rise of human beings who will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know that while this is going to end uh, in conflict, we know who's going to win the war. It is spelled out for us so clearly, so plainly in the words of God's word. The Lord God Almighty is going to win this war. The saved in Jesus Christ will indeed inherit the kingdom of heaven and the devil and his demons, and all those who chose to follow him rather than the Lord Jesus Christ will spend eternity in the despair and the horror and the punishment of hell. Every person needs to make that choice that Joshua spoke in Joshua 24, 15, where he says, as for me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Everyone needs to make that choice. And there may be some who say, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I'm a good parent. Uh, I do good things. I'm a good neighbor. Uh, I have not really chosen Jesus, but I've chosen to be good. However, any choice that is outside of choosing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a choice for Satan. It is a choice for hell. No choice for Jesus is choosing hell. And that's exactly the words of the Bible. Those who are unrepentant, those who believe that they can be good enough on their own, will not inherit heaven. Although much of the world believes that today, that those who are good will go to heaven, that is not, not what the Bible says. Now, in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, we see God hand to Jesus Christ a scroll of divine ownership of the earth. And as Jesus opens each one of the seven seals of this scroll, God pours a great tribulation upon the earth. He pours punishment. He pours his wrath upon uh, the sin of the world, the unrighteousness of the world. Chapter 6, 
verses 1 and 2, Jesus breaks open the first seal of the scroll. When that seal is broken, we see a white horse and a rider with a bow appear. God gives the rider a crown, and Scripture tells us that he rides out to conquer. In other words, God allows this rider to have a measure of earthly power for a short period of time. However, I want you to also notice that it is a limited earthly power. Do you notice that the rider carries a bow, but it says nothing about arrows? Also, we see Jesus Christ does not carry a bow, but rather he carries a sword. So the power of this rider is much lesser than the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this rider is identified as the Antichrist when we studied chapter 6. Now tonight, we are going to go to chapter 13, and we once again are going to be dealing with the Antichrist. So if you haven't turned to chapter 13 of Revelation, turn with me there. And we are going to look at the first 10 verses of the book of the Revelation, chapter 13. Hear these words of God's Word and bear in mind what it says in chapter 1, verse 3, that when you and I hear the words of this book, we are instantly blessed by God. So you're opening yourself to blessing as we read these 10 verses together. Hear then the Word of God. John writes this, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were, Wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints." May God add his blessing to the reading of these ten precious verses of his holy and mighty word. Now, I can tell you that there are many, many preachers who shy away from prophecy, who shy away from the book of Revelation, and who shy away from the book of Daniel. 
But no Christian should be uninformed about what we're studying in this book this night because I believe that the time is getting near. I can't make a call as if it's going to be tonight or tomorrow or years from now, but I believe that the time is getting nearer and nearer for these things to be happening. No Christian should be uninformed about these words. I don't know when it will come, but I believe that we are looking at decades rather than centuries of this happening. And there are a lot of reasons that we see fulfilled prophecy here that I believe that to be true. Now, in chapter 13, verse 1, John says, the old apostle who was given this book to write down, the old apostle John on the island of Patmos says that he sees a beast and it is rising out of the sea. That's on your sheet. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, we see a definition of what John is saying here. The waters of the world or the sea of the world are all the nations and all the peoples on the planet of earth. So what John is saying is somewhere in some nation on this earth, out of all the people who reside on the earth as human beings, there's one that rises out of the billions of people who rises up to a supreme power to be a supreme leader in the world. In fact, John says, this leader that rises out of the sea of tongues and nations and peoples, this leader is going to have a great earthly following. He's going to have great earthly control. And more importantly still, he has control because Satan himself, who is called the dragon in this passage, Satan himself empowers the beast. And of course, the beast is the Antichrist who will rule on this earth during the great tribulation. He will have great power and the devil will actually crown this man as a king on earth. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, you will see that this beast is kin to Satan himself. The beast is the Antichrist. Now, I want you to notice that the Antichrist has all the signs of earthly power. Ten horns, seven heads with crowns upon those heads. What is Revelation's description of Satan himself? Chapter 12, verse 3, it says that the devil has seven heads, ten horns, Seven crowns on the heads. So the description of Satan in Revelation is the very same description of the Antichrist in Revelation. So the beast or the Antichrist is in direct kinship to Satan, the dragon himself. There's a family likeness between Satan and the Antichrist. Do you remember in John chapter 14 verse 9 that Jesus says, He who has seen me hath seen the Father. A direct kinship between Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Antichrist can say that very same thing about his relationship with Satan. If you see the Antichrist, you are seeing his father, Satan, the one in wickedness. Now in chapter 13, verse 2. The beast or the Antichrist is described in terms of different animals. And this is so interesting as we link it hand in hand with our study in Daniel. If you remember in Daniel chapter 7, the kingdoms of the world are described in terms of a leopard and a bear and a lion. 
Daniel chapter 7. You can go back and read it. We have already studied it in our sermon series on Sunday mornings. Here in Revelation, the leader of the kingdoms of the world, described in the very same terms of leopard, bear, and lion. Now, some have seen the Antichrist's earthly power as a combination of the greatest powers of the greatest kingdoms of all time. And as we think about Daniel's description of those kingdoms, the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom, the greatest powers that have ever spanned history, they are coming back again to be described in the last days in this book of Revelation. So there's a direct tie between the prophecy of Daniel in the Old Testament and the prophecy of Revelation in the New. The leopard stands for the military swiftness of the Greeks, the bear stands for the ferocious strength of the Persian Empire, and the lion stands for the conquering power of the Babylonians. So if you you combine the deadliest forces of all the great empires of the past, you're going to see a good picture of the earthly power of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will wield worldwide power and authority. Satan directly empowers him you need that word satan directly empowers him and the world blindly follows him as the leader now let's read verses 3 and 4 of chapter 13 again john said and i saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed And all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? The Antichrist will be a great man in the eyes of a lost world. People will ooh and ah over him. They will find him very attractive there's the word you're looking for they will find the antichrist very attractive they will be drawn in they will be deceived by his charisma by his charm now i want to remind you that when we see the bible's description of satan do we see satan as a a hideous looking thing with a, a forked tongue and a pitchfork and a tail with a spike on it absolutely not But rather, the Bible says that Satan will appear as an angel. Satan will appear to be uh, so very attractive. And that is the same description that we see of the Antichrist. He will not be a hideous sight. He is a wicked killer on the inside. But on the outside, he is witty. He is pleasant. He is charming. He is winsome. People just are so attracted to him, but never forget, he is a killer on the inside. And Satan pulls the greatest charade of all time uh, through the Antichrist. John writes in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, that the Antichrist appears to, it seems that he has a mortal wound. In other words, a wound that killed him. Now, there are some other versions of the Bible that said the New International Version, the Revised Standard Version, the Living Bible, today's English Version, uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible. They use the word seemed, that he seemed to have a mortal wound. In other words, it was a wound that appeared to kill him, but it did not. It only looked that way. 
but it never truly killed him. However, that wound was healed, and the Antichrist receives this deadly sort of wound, and it's so serious that he uses it as an ad campaign. He recovers from this wound, and he says, Look, I died from that wound that I received, but people of the world, you can see that I have been resurrected to life. I have been raised from the dead. I do not believe that the Antichrist actually dies. And the reason I believe that is because Satan does not not have resurrection power. Satan could not raise the Antichrist from the dead. So the wound, according to the Word of God, seemed to be mortal, but it did not truly kill him. But he lies and says that it did, and he rises from the dead. And he uses that in an ad campaign, and people are enamored with his power. And the King James versions say they wonder about him. They wonder over his greatness. They're drawn to him, even to the point of worshiping him. Just as an aside, let me tell you this. I read an article not too long ago that some people believed that John Fitzgerald Kennedy filled this role. And when he received the headshot in Dallas, there were many who believed that he would rise up from that wound to fulfill these words. Of course, it did not happen, but there were many who thought it would. I thought that was an interesting commentary. But... When the day of the Antichrist comes, people will worship him and wonder over him because of his greatness and because of this resurrection, so-called, that he went through. Now, I can just see Satan grinning in delight for people are worshiping the Antichrist. And actually, if they worship the Antichrist, they are really worshiping Satan himself. And that's all that he's ever wanted. Satan has wanted to be worshipped. Remember his crowning temptation to Jesus? Satan says, Lord Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will simply fall down and worship me. And in the great tribulation, Satan gets what he wants. For his son, the Antichrist, is worshipped, and therefore he is worshipped as well. But it was only for a very short period of time. The devil then achieves his goal. He uses the Antichrist to lead people away from the Savior by giving the world a false or a fake resurrected Savior. That's on your sheet. The devil achieves his goal by leading the world away from the Savior by giving the world a false Savior, even one that seemingly went through a resurrection himself. This is so sad. Because multitudes, multitudes of lost people are drawn away from Jesus, never to come to him. And they're falling for the lies and the deception of Satan. Now, Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. These verses say that the Antichrist, with a worldwide following, is going to blaspheme and undermine the love of God. And he will do that for three and a half years. The Antichrist actually comes into great power in the midway point of the Great Tribulation. So three and a half years into the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist picks up power there and remains for the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. He will curse God. He will rail against heaven. He will actively kill Christians. He will tell the world 
that anyone who believes that you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and go to heaven, you are poor, misled fools who have leaned on a crutch of a false promise for way too long. The beast is going to laugh and blaspheme in the face of God. The Antichrist is going to belittle our God. He's going to belittle and blaspheme our trust in the Savior. Any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in these days are literally going to be running for their lives in persecution and in murder. In fact, the Antichrist hates believers so much that he tries to exterminate God's people off the face of the earth. Look at chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the beast is going to have such control on this earth that he, very much like Herod and Pilate of the past, can say to his soldiers, kill Christians and it will be carried out. It will be done. People of God will face tremendous persecution in these days of, uh, of the great tribulation. Now, I remind you that while the church is out of here, the church is gone, the church has been raptured away, there are people of God still on this earth during the great tribulation. If you remember, we studied about the 144,000 Jews who come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They become a great witnessing force all over the world. Uh, world. So those 144,000 are this huge witnessing force drawing millions. In fact, the Bible says they can't even be counted. There are so many coming to Christ. So salvation is still happening in the Great Tribulation, but those who are being saved truly are persecuted. Many, many, many lose their lives. The beast has that kind of control. However, there also are great numbers of lost people on the earth, so misled by this deceitful world leader that they reject Jesus. And because of their rejection, their names will never appear in the Lamb's book of life. The saved may be captives, may be slain, may be murdered physically on this earth, but they will receive eternal life. But I want you to look at what John says in his last statement that we read tonight in verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In every trial, the people of God, this is true today as it will be in the great tribulation, in every trial we face, we face them with patience, with faith. People of God must endure. And in the face of whatever tribulation comes our way, we have to look to our Lord Jesus Christ, never lose faith, never back down, even when we're faced with the sword or with death. Isn't it interesting tonight that we're talking about the way that our society, our United States of America, took a huge step away from God today? Now, as I watched that on the evening news tonight, there were such celebrations outside of the Supreme Court building. There were people who were absolutely triumphant over uh, the victory of homosexual benefits in the United States of America. And yet, while the lost are cheering, we who are saved know that our nation has taken a step backward. 
how sad it is. But that's only a shadow of what's going to happen in the great tribulation in days that are to come. So as we look in chapter 13 of Revelation, we see the days are coming when God's people are greatly challenged, even to death, to stand for the Savior. If they take their stand, it is very likely they could fall in death. We have not reached that point in human history yet when faith in the United States can lead to physical death. But the question still stands for us. In every situation, will we stand for our Savior? As our nation walks away from the Lord, what will we do to stand up for Him? Perhaps one of the greatest ways to stand up for Him is to be on our knees with Him. One of the greatest ministries of old Daniel was the fact that he was on his knees three times a day lifting up his people before God Almighty. One of our greatest ministries in standing up for the Lord is to be on our knees with the Lord. The message of the Bible is firm, and that is that we are to stand for him. And I believe this, that the churches that truly preach salvation... And the churches who truly preach the reality of hell for the lost, I believe more and more those churches, and I proudly say we're one of them, that preaches hell and preaches salvation and preaches that decision for repentance to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe more and more in our society those churches are are being labeled fanatical, uh, being labeled out of touch with modern society. We're, we're holding up a gospel that is so old and we need to move on with the new. However, the Lord teaches us that we are to stand strong in his word and never compromise and never move it an inch, never water it down and never sugarcoat it. The message of the Bible is firm and it is unbending that we who are fishers of men and women, we take the message to the world that Every person needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person has the opportunity to have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. But lost people are standing unknowingly on the very brink of hell with every beat of their heart. So that means we should certainly have a passion to reach the lost because the good news, the message of the Bible, will never change. The message is this. Come to Jesus as Savior. He is the only one who died to pardon sin. Come while there's time. Come while the door of heaven is still open. Come while Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. But I do remind you of this. As with the Old Testament story of Noah and the ark, there was a time... For years that ark stood open and Noah preached the salvation of God. Remember there was one door in the ark. And I believe that Noah invited anyone who would want to come into the safety and protection and shelter of the ark was welcome to come. But there came a moment when the door of that ark was closed. Noah didn't close it. God closed the door. And I believe that that is an Old Testament picture of what's going to happen one day with the door of heaven. One day that door will be shut. But this day the door is open. And we need to be inviting people to come through it by Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The book of Revelation says we must be passionate 
Uh, it's crucial in not only the day of the great tribulation, but in this day as well. And tonight, if you are here and you have never come to Jesus Christ, tonight is the night that you can meet him as your Savior. And I can tell you this, and it's true for anyone who might, know, might not know Jesus in this room, but it's true outside of these doors that Satan is a great, great liar and deceiver. And his greatest deception for the peoples of the world is to say, you don't have to come to the Savior. You can wait a little longer. You can be good enough yourself. In fact, there's a story that I remember from years ago. I've told it in the pulpit, but it's been a long time. About Satan who met with his demon advisors. And he said, what do you think is the best plan to get the world off track coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? And one demon said, I think the best plan is to tell people that there is no heaven. And another demon said, no, I think the best plan is to tell people that there is no hell. And Satan said, no, the best plan is to tell them that there is no hurry. Too many people wait. Too many people may know here about the cross and a Savior, but they wait to invite him here. And they pass from this earth, decision never made, and eternity is sealed. They will never behold the love of the Savior ever, ever again. Do not hesitate. Jesus didn't hesitate to go to the cross for you and for me.